Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether you're a bird brain or a wise old owl, you'll love this week's episode as we fight an uphill battle to understand a language filled with metaphors. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. This week, we'll answer a fourth grader's question about the phrase, it's all downhill from here. And then we'll explore some fun animal idioms. This segment is by Samantha Enslin, and here's a question from Henry. I'm Mignon. I'm Henry, a fourth grader from Buffalo, New York. Last night, my dad and I were reading the sixth book in a series on fortunate events by Lemony Snicket. In this series, the narrator defines words or phrases. As the children are about to start climbing up a very high staircase, the doorman jokes, there's one good thing about this staircase. It's all uphill from here. The narrator defines it's all uphill from here as meaning things will get better in the future. However, I find conflicting definitions online and most say it means things will get worse. What does it's all uphill from here really mean? Henry asks a great question and one that's trickier than you'd expect. Here's the story. If we look at the phrase, it's all uphill from here, logically, it should mean that things are getting difficult. Imagine riding a bike. When you're headed into an uphill climb, you know that things are going to be rough. In the same vein, logically, it's all downhill from here should mean that things are getting easier. You're coasting downhill, wind in your hair, your feet resting on the pedals. Everything is easy peasy. Except when it comes to these two phrases, nothing's easy. Here's the problem. Phrases that include the word up tend to have a positive connotation. When we upgrade our software, we're switching to a better version. When you have the upper hand on someone, you have the advantage. The upper crust of society are fancy folks who live in the highest social strata. If you tend to look at the upside of things, you're an optimist. And if things are on the up and up, everything's legit. In contrast, phrases that use the word down tend to have a negative connotation. For example, if you're sad, you may be down in the dumps. Someone who's impoverished could be down and out, down at heel, or down on their luck. If you're facing an epic fail, that means everything is going down the drain or down the tubes. 
So because of our long history with phrases like this, we start to see why someone would think that all uphill might be good and that all downhill might be bad. To add one more layer of complexity, the word downhill itself is what's called a Janus word. That means it has two equal but opposite meanings. One definition of downhill is easy, the other is progressively worse. Wow. So considering this, you can see why the phrases it's all uphill or downhill from here can cause a lot of confusion. If you're going to use them, especially in writing, the safe thing to do is add context. For example, don't send your friends a text saying, we just took Rover to the veterinarian. It's all downhill from here. Your friends might start freaking out. Is your puppy sick? Is he going to die? To reduce everyone's stress, add context. For example, you could say something like this. We just got back from taking Rubber to the vet. Great news. It's all downhill from here. He just needs one more week of antibiotics, and then he's good to go. That sounds better, right? So that's your public service announcement for today. Don't assume readers will know what you mean if you say something is all uphill or all downhill from here. Add a little context to help everyone understand your meaning. And thanks for the question, Henry. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, an award-winning writer who runs the writing and editing agency Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages. And you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. This next segment is by Valerie Friedland. Have you ever squirreled something away to use later, pigged out on M&Ms, or been a bit of a chicken? 
Well, very likely you have, but did you ever think about why we have a tendency to use animal names for human behaviors? Since animals and humans have coexisted and often feared each other for thousands of years, maybe it makes sense that we'd assign certain characteristics to those animals based on our experiences with them. When we notice squirrels busily storing away multitudes of acorns, pigs eating anything and everything, and chickens fleeing at the early signs there might be danger, it certainly doesn't seem like such a stretch to see ourselves in some of those tendencies. And after all, who knows what animals are saying about us behind our backs with their barks, meows, and oinks. When we compare animal behavior to human behaviors, it actually says more about us than it does about the animals. We're looking at them through our own eyes and using metaphors to describe actions that are really just natural for them. So when we call pigs gluttonous or chickens weak and scared, we're actually just projecting our own values onto them. By making these comparisons, we're showing how we see ourselves in these animals. Since most people think of animals as being worth less than humans, despite how you might feel about fluffy, many of these animal terms end up being quite negative. For example, snake, weasel, and rat. Indeed, humans have long used animal terms to dehumanize and degrade ethnic groups who they feel are beneath them. For example, calling people dogs, apes, and ants. So in exploring the history of how some of these terms came to be, we'll probably learn a lot more about the humans who use them than the animals that inspired them. Not surprisingly, one of the animal names that's often been used to describe human behavior is man's best friend, the dog. What is surprising, given the way we call them fur babies and buy them sweaters today, is that when we use the word dog to refer to people, we clearly haven't always held them in high regard. When you call someone a dog, it usually isn't considered a great compliment, and we've been using dog in this derogatory way for centuries. In fact, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, we first find such contemptuous use as early as the 11th century, where dakyena was used to describe the people who brutally tortured a 4th century deacon, St. Vincent, who refused to renounce his faith. Clearly not a positive portrayal of what it is to act like a dog. Now, interestingly, although the word dog is very common today, its etymological history is a little murky. In Old English, the Germanic word hund was the generic way to refer to our companion canines, and the word dog appears to have been a rare term used to refer to a particular type of powerful, fierce, and darker-colored hund. The earliest version of the word doja only appears once in writing in Old English in that story about St. Vincent and it's hypothesized to have come from the word ducks, an Old English adjective describing a dark or dusky color. People started using the word more commonly and generically in Middle English, where it appeared as doga, D-O-G-G-E, though according to the Middle English Dictionary, it was most often used in an unflattering and insulting way. But regardless of where it came from, dogs were clearly viewed as more utilitarian than cuddly in these early times and they were prized for their hunting prowess and coarse nature, spawning the negative sense we mean when we say someone is acting like a dog today. Another set of creatures that have taken on more than their fair share of negative press are weasels in their kin, badgers. 
Compared to weasels who are anthropomorphized as two-faced and deceitful, badgers have it pretty easy, only being maligned as annoyingly relentless in pestering you about that trash you need to take out or that colonoscopy appointment for which you are overdue. But both creatures have gotten a bad rap in terms of the behaviors they've come to represent. Although weasels have a reputation for sneaking into coops and killing chickens that don't belong to them, they're just trying to keep themselves fed. But their voracious appetite sometimes led them to literally bite off more than they could chew. And this tendency to kill and then store dead animal bodies for a later meal didn't help their image much, especially with the farmers owning the aforementioned chickens. This behavior is a pretty smart one from the perspective of long-term survival, but in the social world of humans, considered pretty murderous. Thus, weasels showed up as the bad guys in animated films like Disney's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad from 1949. And the rest, as they say, is history, at least in terms of our beliefs about those with weaselly natures. Now, the association of badgers with pestering or annoying behavior comes not from natural badger tendencies per se, but from a more disturbing and very human activity, the sport of badger baiting, which was very popular in 19th century Britain. In this event, badgers were led into boxes or barrels that were open on one side and dogs were set upon them. It's not quite clear whether it's the dog's tenacious pursuit of the trapped badgers or the badger's tenacious defense of their lives that inspired this association. But either way, it certainly does not speak well of the humans who organized it. Not surprisingly, the dogs and or badgers often met with a bad fate, which is likely the origin of the term to badger someone to death. And how about our fondness for calling out feckless or sinister sorts as rats or snakes? Again, it's related to how humans have come to view rats and snakes as dirty, diseased, dangerous, and for snakes at least, slippery. Probably not a very fair assessment of animals who are simply trying to live their best lives as well as ignoring the fact that snakes are actually quite helpful at getting rid of annoying pests like, well, rats. Likewise, squirrels, pigs, and chickens with their respective acorn-collecting, voracious eating, and running away are just trying to not starve or become someone else's meal, though we again tend to view their behaviors as more intentional and in a negative light. What becomes clear as we consider the history behind our animal-to-human metaphorical language is that we have a great tendency to view the behavioral traits of animals through a very human-centered lens. And this generally ends up making us the ones that look like the bad guys. That segment was written by Valerie Friedland, a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada in Reno, and the author of, like literally, dude, Arguing for the Good in Bad English. You can find her at ValerieFriedland.com. And finally, I have a familect story from Michelle. Hello, Griff Curl. This is Michelle from Patrick News, Massachusetts, with a family word for you. I was amused to learn that another listener has the word tiku in his family, meaning cookie. Our middle daughter, Eliana, as a toddler, taught us a similar word, kaku, but kaku means either cookie or cracker. In British English, the word biscuit serves this purpose, but biscuit is more of a bread roll in American English, so we use the word kaku instead. It also can mean dog treat, according to our border colleague, 
just got rewarded with a dog treat for recognizing the word. Thank you for your podcast. Thank you, Michelle. And here's a little aside. You may have noticed that Michelle said that biscuit can mean either cookie or cracker in British English. And I thought that was interesting. It scratched at my brain a bit because I thought I had heard something different. So I looked around and wow, is this more complicated than I'd imagined. I did a poll on Mastodon asking for responses from only British people, and the results were almost evenly split. 41% of respondents said a British biscuit is only a sweet cookie, and 45% said a British biscuit can be either a cookie or a cracker, and 14% of the respondents said it's something else. I got many, many comments with many different explanations. It turns out there was even an entire episode of the podcast Pants in the Boots, which I listened to, just arguing about what biscuit means in British English. I think maybe what I'd call a cracker is usually a cracker in British English, except when it's a specific kind of cracker called a water biscuit, or possibly when talking about cheese and biscuits. But honestly, I still don't know. At this point, I'm not sure anyone knows, and please don't call or write to me about it. But if you want to share your FAMELECT, the voicemail line is 833214-GIRL. Call from a nice quiet place and we might play it on the show. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. And thanks to the team. Our audio engineer is Nathan Sims and our director of podcasts is Adam Cecil. Our marketing associate is Davina Tomlin and our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen, whose favorite dessert is flan. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings, and our intern is Cameron Lacey. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 